I'm glad that we're not doing this on Thursday night because if we did, you guys would be all sleeping already, right? Like all full. I don't know about you guys, but uh, we probably had enough food for twice as many people. Uh, and it's not too bad because I ate twice as much as normal. No, but, um, and you know, at the same time, there's good things that happen. I hope that you're grateful. But, uh, you know, like some of the things that I know, there's people have been praying and people have been trusting God for different things. But just, can we just celebrate uh, that Jasmine? Uh, our frontline director, you guys see her often, whether up front, up here, or sometimes controlling stuff in the back and doing all those things. But they had uh, Josh and Jasmine had a healthy baby boy on Monday evening. So can we just say congratulations to them? Oh, what did I say? Boy? Oh, Leah. I know it's, uh, I don't know what I'm saying, but I know her name is Leah. So, um, you know, just, I know there was great rejoicing and, uh, you know, the whole kind of a thing. And we, she FaceTimed us on Tuesday uh, in the office and she looked all fresh and all like, like so happy and, and the whole thing. But I knew that like just 12 hours before that, she probably looked super different, right? And uh, just, you know, going through those things. But I remember when we had our, our first child and uh, you're in the hospital and then they, they explain all the stuff that you're supposed to do. This is how you wash the baby. This is how you. This is how you kind of um, uh, tuck them in and the and in the uh, the blanket. And you kind of create this little cocoon. They, they tell you all these things. And this is how, when you change the diaper and then watch for this. And this is like. And then you start breastfeeding things and and all that. And then I just remember when we went home, we were like, wait, huh? What did they say? You know, and that's just a stress level. And the thing is that when you pray for something, when you receive it, it's good. But sometimes, you guys ever notice, it's like when you receive what God's given to you, there's just so much more, right? There's so much more that needs to be done. There's so much more that we, we learned it along the way. And to be honest, that we've, as we've been going through this aspect of kingdom and the kingdom of God, the understanding that God's called you to be a part of his kingdom, that God's called you to be a part of his family, to be his representative, that would you know that there's just way more? There's just way more. And so this evening, I wanted to uh, continue that by talking about then what do we do now? It's like, I just remember that, bringing home the babies, bringing home the kids, and it's like all of a sudden, man, just the panic set in because we knew there was more to do. And to be honest, you know what? Nobody else could do what we were called to do for this child. And this child, this place, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? You can have supporters, you can have encouragers, you can have cheerleaders, you can have parents, you can have in-laws that all want to help. But you know that, to be honest, that there's a different role and a different responsibility that when you're a parent, right? That to steward that. In the same way, to be honest, we're gonna see that in some ways um, as we go through our, our time together. And um, one of those things is that sometimes it's so easy to forget that when we were called, when we we're called to Jesus, yes, we're called to a personal relationship with God. Yes, we're called to grow in Him. Yes, we're called to get to know Him more. But that there's some things that kind of, that kind of we can't see beyond the veil. And, and, and it's sort of like when I was talking about that some of us were, that we're in the fog and you cannot see beyond the fog. You know Jesus is on the other side, right? You know that he's leading you forward. But there's something that we're, we don't really see that well. It's like in the next life, right? Now, how many of you guys, right? Like, I don't know about you guys, but I've never been to heaven. Anybody have been to heaven? 
Okay, because you know, if you did, you could have come up, just share a little bit, but I, now I've never been. Now, I know that the scripture talks about it, but to be honest, does it give us like a ton, a ton of detail? It doesn't, right? And so you hear stories and people and pe- stories about people who, who died, came back to life, and they tell about all these amazing things. But one of those things that we probably don't see is the fact that what happens on that calling that's beyond this life and I, I want to talk about that a little bit because we talked about that the kingdom of God is not just heaven, but it includes heaven. The kingdom of God is not just the church. It's not just Israel. It's not just God's plan. It's, but it's, it's all of that, but that there's a calling in our life and there's a calling in your life um, for beyond what you can expect, beyond what you can even imagine. And I, I just wanted us to, to read together in... Uh, Ephesians 1, and I know, I don't know I, why I have it, it says 4 to 11, it's, and we're reading actually from verse 9, um, but would you do me a favor, because yeah, that would be long, but uh, do me a favor, let's stand uh, in reverence for God and reverence for his word. And then it says this, let's read, ready, begin. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ. Well, let's stop for a moment. You know what a mystery is? A mystery is something that has yet to be revealed in the scriptures. That when you read, this is the mystery. In other words, that we, we don't see clearly. God said some things and we see something, but like we don't really see beyond that. So there's a, a mystery, but then he, he's gonna explain this mystery. He says, let's continue on, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ everything in heaven and on earth. And furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. And so he's saying that, hey, you know, like, he's gonna bring it all together one day. It's like sometimes we see the world, we see God's plan and it's fragmented. It's like you see a little bit here, you see a little bit here, you see a little bit here and it, it's like a puzzle piece. And puzzle pieces, you see some things clearly, you don't always know how everything fits together. You don't know how, what the, even that sometimes what the real big picture looks like. But this is the biggest, this is the part where he's trying to bring all this together and this is a, it's a strange thing, but it says this in, in 2 Timothy 2, 12 and 13. I'm gonna ask us to read that as well. He says this, let's read. Ready, begin. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. And would you do me a favor, just look at that middle portion in, the, in that first verse, he says, we will reign with him. And what that's saying is that you and I, that we are called to rule and reign with Christ. That yes, God is king, there's only one God. There's only one king, that's God is king. But guess what? That God likes to share the power. God likes to involve people. God likes to get people partnership. And this is a, and, and, and I, we wanna talk a little bit about this, but God's purpose wasn't that you just get to heaven, but that you're gonna have some authority in heaven. You're actually gonna rule and, and, and have some leadership in heaven. You're gonna have influence in heaven 
Now, you might not feel qualified, like right now, to do that, right? I'm going to guess some of us, we don't feel qualified to do that. But this is part of being in God's kingdom, is God's training ground for not just this life, but for the next life as well. So before you're seated, just turn to your neighbor and says, you're made for influence, and then you can have a seat. Right? You're made for influence. You're made to have influence, Lord, in, in this world as well as in the next world. Because God's purpose in our redemption and what he sent out to do this was that we would rule with him over his creation. That's the beginning that we see even in Genesis that, that God called us to rule and reign on this planet, on this realm. Uh, of course, we made our mistakes. We kind of messed it up. But here's the thing, that that purpose was never thwarted it's just being now fulfilled in different ways that we're called to rule with christ and share in the inheritance that god has for us as his adopted sons and daughters the reign of god the kingdom of god extends its will on earth through jesus right the god man the christ that yet it says this that when you do there's a partnership that god desires Partnership, And it's throughout the scriptures that we, we see, it, it says that when God made man, he says, let us make man in our image. We talked a little bit about. The scriptures indicate, though, at the same time, there's going to be a big conflict that happens uh, toward the end of kind of uh, time on earth, the way that we, we count time. And it's going to be between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, against the domain of darkness. And, and this conflict that is already raging and unsettled in some ways will be established when Jesus returns. Now, this aspect is, is talked about in Revelation 20. And, and, and tonight, I'm going to just not have enough time to actually talk about everything, chapter and verse, take a look at it. And, uh, but I, I'm just going to say, and you can take a look at this at Revelation chapter 20. But in Revelation chapter 20, there's this portion where it, it's after the battle of Armageddon. It's after these kinds of things. And it says then that Satan is taken in verse one. It says that Satan is taken and he's bound for a thousand years and that Christ will rule and reign on earth for a thousand years. Now, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about it, this because, and, and this is a little different, the first half especially of the message is a little different because I don't necessarily get into something like this. It's usually in a class I'll get into something like this, um, that, that there are different views that are related how people interpret this aspect in Revelation 20. And, and there are three typical views, th the three major views. The, one's the premillennial view, the amillennial view, and the postmillennial view, which is one of the reasons why I don't talk about it that much in this kind of a setting, but uh, this, it makes well for classrooms. But I, I wanna just give you a kind of a, a Reader's Digest version. Some of you guys have no idea what Reader's Digest is. I wanna give you the abbreviated version uh, of that, right? It just shows you how old I am. That I remember reading Reader's Digest when I was a kid. Um, but it says the first is this, the premillennial view. And so the premillennial view is 
is that the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign is a very literal thing. It's like literally 1,000 years and that Jesus will return to earth, establish his kingdom. The world will be all messed up from the world, but then he's gonna set everything straight. There's, it's gonna be messed up from judgment, but it's gonna be like the flowers in the, you know, in the desert. It's gonna be the, the Dead Sea is renewed. It becomes flowing like it talks about in Ezekiel that it's gonna, the fresh, it's gonna be, it's gonna turn to fresh water and there's gonna be life that springs up in the desert. This kind of a thing is called the premillennial view. And, and that then when Jesus comes back, just, it's like heaven on earth. It's like heaven on earth. And then there's this amillennial view. And the amillennial view of Revelation 20 uh, is, is it's, it's, a little, it's the opposite of the premillennial view in that it takes a very figurative view. So it's not, they don't say it's a really a thousand years. It's like, you know, it's like a long time. That's basically what they say. It's a real long time. We don't know how long. But, um, and so what they're saying is that Christ is already ruling right? He's already ruling. And it's true that Jesus is ruling in some sense, but they're saying that this is the kingdom. So when it says amillennial, it means non, not millennial, right? So it's saying it's not literally a thousand years, but ever since Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, we've kind of entered this time. And then as the gospel goes out, that, that it will in incur a sense of change and transformation in society. And this is actually the kingdom. And, and so, and then the last one is the post-millennial. And the post-millennial then is saying, it, it's, it's similar to the amillennial in some ways, but it's saying that there will be a return of Christ and that he will establish his kingdom uh, on earth, but uh, and it'll be a great time of prosperity and change and you know, society will be changed and transformed um, and that will kind of help engender the return of Christ, right? So it's different from the amillennial which says that to be honest, it's just kind of continuing and getting better and better and better. Now, amillennial view went out of um, kind of widespread belief in the earlier part of the 20th century. Can you imagine why? because there were these things called World War I and World War II. And instead of the world getting better and better and better, that would seem like it was getting better and better and better, and then the world seemed to go to hell, right? And then 20 years later, the same thing happened again, right? It was, it's crazy. So our millennial view went out of kind of a, a favor, but, you know, because also for a lot of us, we, it doesn't square with the way that we see the world, right? How many of us that when you look at the world, you're just saying it's getting better and better and better? Now, it's probably the opposite, right, that we're, we're wondering. And so I want to kind of give some comments about this. And one of those things is like, hey, whatever view you have, and some people, you know, you, they, they, you've actually come from a pretty structured um, theological belief. And so people, people have come to the church and they ask me, what's your view of the millennial? And I, like, when I hear that, I was like, Wow, that's like a totally different. Well, normally, we're asking about kids ministry. We're talking about we're, we're talking about small groups. We're talk, that kind of stuff. So when somebody walks in, and I remember one guy said, "Well, we're premillennial. I'm premillennial, right?" And the guy is like, "Oh, I really like this church." He's saying all that. And then when he premillennial, he goes like, "Oh, I'm we're postmillennial." 
And I was thinking, wow, that's so weird to me that you would just say, we love the church, we love the people, but because of this view, people they, they thought that they couldn't fellowship. And so this is what one of the things I would say. Hey, whatever view you hold, I mean, that's fine with me. These are all, they're considered orthodox views, right? And there's been some sense of uh, kind of a, uncertainty and so whatever view you hold to be honest I say I'm premillennial but you know what this is the good news if I'm wrong if I'm wrong if it's postmillennial or something else you know what it doesn't it doesn't affect my salvation <laughs> right so if you don't know what it is like you know it doesn't affect your salvation you're already saved right Jesus doesn't by the way I I mean believing the right thing about Jesus is important but you know what? The thing is, every one of us have something we believe about Jesus that is not right. You just don't know what it is, right? And you know what? Jesus doesn't look at you and say, when, when we stand before him, he's going to say, okay, did you believe in the virgin birth? Did you believe that I, uh, not only that I was created apart from the physical kind of normal way of, of conception, but also that I lived a perfect life. And, and, and you go through the list and then you go, and do you believe that the devil is a physical, not a physical, but is a, is a spiritual being? He's not an imagine. And then you go like, I don't know. Do you know what God won't do? He's like, oh, shucks. You gotta go to the other line. He doesn't do that. Right? You know why? Because to God, there's this thing we talked about in the past is hesed. That's very, it, God's a big deal to God. It's called, that hesed in the, in the Old Testament we see is God's faithful covenantal love. And that when he's saying this, basically, are you faithful to love me back? I'm, I'm, I'm loving you, I'm promising. When you love me back, that matters more than, to be honest, than some of than some of the things that you got wrong. Aren't you glad that, to be honest, that's how God sees it, I believe? That God God's has said that it's not that just God gives faithful love in covenant. This is what God wants from us. I'm not saying that he doesn't care about like us working hard to kind of figure out the best that we can, but just the reality is all of us believe something that it's probably not right. We just, we don't know. And it's not the big deal. It's not the big deal. Whether God is real or whether scripture is, is the word of God, you know, that kind of a thing. So that makes sense. I just wanted to preface that. So here's some things I think about the different views. I was raised in the faith premillennial. Now, the thing is that you don't realize that you are too. Probably if you grew up in the faith in this church, you're, you're influenced by this view. Now, when I grew up though, one of the things that premillennial was talking about is because Jesus is coming back, he's gonna change everything. Basically, the world is corrupt, and so one of the things that they were saying is that, you know what, just gotta save as many souls as possible, right? If that's the case, we just gotta save as many souls as possible. I still believe that, obviously, right? I hope you guys believe that too, because people's eternal salvation is, is an incredibly important, it's the most important thing, I think. But some of the results of that was, they said this, that, you know what? Make sure that you pull away from the world so that you can be stronger in Christ, that you can reach more people for Christ. And so one of the things is that we abandoned, in some ways, the world. Because we, we wanted to, the highest, call, the highest call was a call to ministry. The highest call was 
is a position in some sense in the church. Is that, that was kind of the highest call. But the thing is, I, I think the difficulty is that, that the world matters. The world matters, right? And, and the other part is then when people would talk about that, they would say, say it kind of like the response would be at times. But, you know, like there's an old saying this, nobody polishes the brass on a sinking ship. You know, like if the ship is sinking, nobody's going to try to make it look shiny. And that's how, they viewed, that's how they viewed the world. And so here's the thing that, that is good, though. It's talking about personal relationship with God, talking about salvation, all that. That's huge. Now, the post-millennial view, because there's no real future kingdom, I mean, I mean the amillennial view uh, tends to dismiss, to be honest to me, too much of the biblical narrative. Uh, it doesn't square with reality. It, it, there's... I'm sorry, this, if this is as good as it gets, then heaven kind of sucks, right? Like, I mean, the, this, is, this is not quite square. But I think the post-millennial view has a lot to offer in some ways because it, although it does talk about it should increase, it should change that with the preaching of the gospel and people experiencing change, that, but there's a sense that we need to make a difference in the world. And, and that we ought to transform culture. And if you've go, ever gone to a hospital anywhere around the world, not so much in Hawaii, because I don't really see it in Hawaii, but on the mainland, in Japan, different places in Asia, I've been uh, unfortunate. Sometimes I've had to get connected with these situations, not necessarily for me personally, but I've been even in different countries, that so often a hospital's name is prefaced with saint. This is St. Mark's, right? St. Jude, God, St. Jude, and you know, like that, right? So the, these things, why is that? Because to be honest, you know who started those hospitals was Christians, right? And, and around the world, in Japan, some of the biggest hospitals that I've, like giant hospitals, and there's tons of them, even in my wife's hometown. St. whatever, and it's like, because that when missionaries went, they said, we want to help and bring healing and hope to the nation, and so they did that, right? So they believed in kind of this aspect of culture somehow being transformed. And so what I think is probably appropriate in some ways is for us to take the best of both and bring that to combined. Because I think people's salvation is critical and important and that to be honest, at the end for that person, it's probably like the most important decision in their life, right? It's the most important decision by far in their life. But I think the part that what we need to be reminded of is that we cannot just abandon the world because the world matters. You guys agree the world matters, right? That to be honest, when you see suffering in the street, it matters, right? And, and so sometimes in the, for a long time, many of the churches that like we fellowship with, our friends, and, and to be honest, most of the ones who you would say today are growing or, or doing well, to be honest, that sometimes w when we started, we, we were just about soul winning, right? And not so much about feeding the poor, not so much about making a difference in that kind of a way. Over time, we learned that, you know what? Um, yeah, heaven is a real deal, and we're gonna go there, and one day we're gonna rule and reign with Christ, but we gotta make a difference on this world as well. And so, God's working this, right? Because we, work, we mentioned it's bigger than, bigger than heaven, bigger than the church, bigger than Israel. 
but that you and I, in this world, then you're God's representative, right? You're God's representative. Um, it says it like this, Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. Let's say the word ambassador. God is making his appeal through us and we speak who? For Christ. When we plead, come back to God. And so what is an ambassador? It's a representative from another kingdom. You represent another kingdom. You represent a different king than the king of this world. You represent a different leader than whoever leads your nation or your country or your city or, or your company or whatever it is that you can say, right? So that you're an ambassador. And, and so as ambassadors, as representatives, there's influence that you steward, right? You're, you steward influence. So do me a favor, turn to your neighbor and just say that, you gotta remember you're a representative. And then, yeah? Right? You're an ambassador that you represent a different kingdom. Sometimes, what does that mean? It means that, you know what? My, my home country's rules are different than, than the country that I live in, right? Now, you, would you guys know this, that you know um, that wherever like an ambassador travels, to be honest, he's immune in some ways from the things of the laws of that land. Because wherever he goes, he's an envoy for his government, right? He's a representative of his government. And so, to be honest, in New York, this is what happens. You get diplomatic people. They speed. They break the law. They don't get arrested. They don't. Now, I'm not talking about they go murder or whatever, but like when they, they break civil laws like that, they, they run a red light, they do whatever, they don't get ticketed. They don't get pulled into the police station. You know why? Because... Did a representative from the thing. Now, I'm not saying that you guys should, on the way home, go 90 miles an hour down the free. Hey, Glenn said I'm a representative. I mean, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I, I'm saying that um, that in some ways, that we respond to a different call, right? Now, uh, a number of years ago, in 1975, there were two men. Uh, who had a vision at basically kind of like the same time, a couple of days apart. Uh, one guy's name was Bill Bright. Some of you guys know him. He was the founder and president of Campus Crusade for Christ and a guy named Lauren Cunningham. And Lauren Cunningham was the founder and president of YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And, uh, and some of you guys know I was on staff at Campus Crusade for, uh, for like nine years uh, after I graduated from college. And so when... These two guys, they had a dream, uh, Bill Bright first, that he called Lauren Cunningham um, and, and told him, hey, I had this dream, I had this vision that, that as I was praying for the world, that God said that there's these things that we need to do to attend to, to, to win the world, to Christ, to make a bigger influence in the world. And Lauren Cunningham had just had a vision himself the day before, and he said like, man, this is a weird God-appointed thing. And they got together and they looked at the list of the things that they, they, they received, and it was basically the same thing. Now, uh, un, un, without talking to one another, the names might have been slightly, slightly different, but basically it was the same thing. And in these separate sessions, 
later on, even a guy named Francis Schaeffer, some of you guys might know who Francis Schaeffer was uh, in, in Switzerland um, and, and led a, the, uh, a community of saints and huge influence in actually kind of kind of discipleship movement and all of this aspect. He came up with the same thing. He said at the same time, just about all around the same time. Now, what was this influence um, list that they they came up with seven categories seven spheres of influence seven sectors in society that they felt they felt god was calling them that we have to reach in order for the gospel to be most represented on the planet and so this was their list let's read them together the church the family education government and law media arts and then commerce science and technology right so um those were what they saw now that according to that when they when they had this vision and so this is not gospel because this is not in the bible but this is one of the things that was fueling that in them is that it says in isaiah 2 2 it says in the last days the mountain of the lord's house will be highest of all the most important place on earth and it will be raised above the other hills and people from all over the world will stream there to worship and what it's talking about is that they, they looked at it like mountains and and it's just saying these the mountains in the scriptures are sometimes it's a place where the gods live and sometimes it's this aspect of kind of blessing this place of favor and so the mountain of the lord is the is the best of all is the highest of all but is saying this that the peoples of different mountains will come and worship at the mountain of the lord right and so they're saying that there's different mountains and so sometimes this initially was called kind of like the the um the seven mountains or seven mountains to be taken now that i think that the reality is that what we're really talking about is spheres of influence right so maybe that's a better to me a better term or these seven sectors of society that are instrumental in molding the way people behave and think. And so sociologists might talk about it, that there are sectors that, that influence the way a group of people, a, a country, a society behave and what becomes normal in them, right? That, and they talked about basically these seven sectors, right? In sociology. And so, um, and you know, I, I, being on staff with uh, Campus Crusade, uh, Bill Bright never talked about sociology, <laughs> never talk, but he, this is the thing that he received. Now, I think most of us, we can see very clearly that these seven things affect the way people think, right? That it, if you've ever kind of uh, been in the place where you wanted to be a professional athlete, why is that? Because the influence of sports, right? The influence of sports and entertainment. You ever wanted to be, I want to be a movie star. I want to be a singer. I want to, like, if you've ever wanted to be like that, then to be honest, we know that influence, right? Um, sometimes you know the influence of, uh, some of us grew up in the time when people said to us, you know, one day you could grow up to be the president if you really, everybody was told that by your parents, right? Okay, yeah, well maybe that generation, but like uh, some of us, we, like you can be anything you want to be, but you know, like you can be the governor, you can be a senator or whatever. Why is that? Because we understood instinctively that government does affect a lot of the way that people live, right? Um, that we know that faith or religion today 
can teach us to either love our neighbor or kill our neighbor, right? Like, all you got to do is look at what's happening in Israel and the Gaza Strip today that neighbors were not taught to love one another, but was taught it's okay to kill in the name of their God. And so uh, what faith or religion teaches matter. And how many of us today, if you're looking at public school, even many of us that working in the public school sector, like to be honest, even though we sent, I raised my kids, we all, you know, they, we all had my kids, all of my kids went through public school. And somebody asked, well, don't you believe in Christian school? I said, I absolutely believe in Christian school. I just had public school budget, right? So that's the reason why we have that. Like we couldn't have a house and both, right? So uh, we couldn't do that. But to be honest, I saw what was being taught in terms, of, uh, in terms of what they talk about in terms of family or sexuality or practices. And today, what we see in the school, to be honest, is so much fueling the things that we're seeing today because of things that were taught 20 years ago, because of things that were taught over the, the last decades, right? So we see these, the influence of these aspects. And maybe what we've seen in the last few years is when these spheres all start to align. And they all start saying the same thing. So like in the pandemic, when, like if you didn't have the vaccine, right? You couldn't do stuff because the government said, right? But who else started saying? The media started saying. Entertainment started saying the same thing. And you know, all these guys start tweeting and they start saying all this stuff. It's like, you shouldn't, and, and it, was become, it be started to become crazy during the upheaval, during the riots. And when we saw that something that we, most of us, we watched sports and entertainment. You know why? Because we wanted to escape, right? It's a, it's a nice reprieve from the rest of life, right? We can we watch the game. We can watch the fight. We can watch, you know, uh, the movie. It takes us in a different place. But then what happened during that time that it seemed like government and, and then sports said you got to kneel during the national anthem. And, and then all of a sudden education started moving in concert, like saying, hey, you know what? Like, oh, we would come up like, Black Lives Matter. They're, they're starting to teach people that in some schools, right? I, I'm, I don't ha haven't heard it about here, but like being white, you're inherently racist versus like everybody else. And to be honest, that is insane. That itself is racist, right? And and so, but we saw this alignment. And today, you know what? I, I don't really think about it. I don't, I don't feel guilty for kind of like all the inequities in the world? Is, is it because I did everything perfect? No. Is it because Japanese people throughout history made everything perfect? No. But you know what my friends have said on the, like, on the mainland? A white guilt is real. And they're white. <laughs> and because why? Because society starts saying that. I'm inherently, oh, and you know what I mean? And we see all of this upheaval and we see all of these things coming together, right? Because these aspects are probably influential. They form our opinion. They form our view of the world. Now, we mentioned that before that the kingdom of God and a kingdom is that when the rule and reign of a king, his sovereignty, that he possesses a rule over a domain, a realm, right? So that it starts to reflect his personality and his character 
and the culture and the, the, the people become that way. But the problem has become that when humanity fell, that Satan invaded or usurped exercise in control over these sectors in, in the world. And so all of a sudden, that, that during this time that the, we saw talk about the spirit of the world, we talk about these things, that, that the enemy is often ruling and reigning in these sectors. But I think our call is that as the part, as representatives of God's kingdom, is not simply to tell people about Jesus, although I think that's the most important part, frankly. I still think it's the most important part. Because I don't know about you guys, but you know, I had a conversation uh, with a person last week, and, and the fact that, the, that I had an opportunity to tell him about Jesus, his response to that will determine his eternal destiny. Nothing else that I talk about has any other relevance like that, right? Right, you talk about fishing, I talk about food, cooking, I can talk about sports, I can talk about whatever, but it has no emphasis. We can talk about business, we can talk about finance, it doesn't have the same effect. I think that's the most important part. But I think one of the problems is that the church has somehow, in some ways, abandoned much of these sectors. And some of us, that when we used to play music, we played music in the world. And the problem was, for some of us who used to play music in the world, is that when we were playing music in the world, we were, it, we were basically undistinguishable from the world. So I understand that some of us, we had to come out of the world so that we could learn how to walk with Jesus, right? But I think here's the thing is that we were never called to abdicate and say, hey, you know what? We just gotta focus on the church and to hell with the rest of the world. I think the world matters. I think the world matters. Education matters. Academics matter. Government matters, right? Entertainment matters, why? So many people get their information about the world from media, from entertainment. So many of us that we're, this is what we see, that when you ever, you ever talk to kids today? Sometimes it's a little different. When I say kids, I, I mean like young, young adults, like sometimes 18 to 25. You know, when I grew up, nobody said, I wanna be a TikToker or a YouTuber one day, right? That's like a different thing. Why is that? Just because the influence, right? And um, when we look at these things, we cannot abandon them. I have been guilty. I have been guilty. Because I just said, I just gotta run my lane, right? But here's the thing. Some of us, your call is, as a believer, you are part of the church. But this is what, I think we need to say is that it, but if you are called in some sense in the marketplace, in government, in, in media, that that, and if you're going as a representative of Jesus, the, the reality is this, there's no higher call than wherever Jesus tells you to go. There's no higher call. The call to be a pastor is not higher 
than the call to be in government, in education, right? In, in business. Because why? Because of who called you. Because wherever Jesus calls you, that's the highest call there is. You guys agree with that? Yes. Right? So the, the reality is, is that we need to learn how to walk in that call, right? And so we're always, you'll always be a part of the church, but we cannot just make everything about just the function of what happens within the four walls, right? We've got to think in terms of the, the impact outside of the four walls. And so I think then that what we're saying is this, as the followers of Jesus, it's good that you worship, it's good that you get in the word, it's good that you learn how to pray and you pray for yourself and you pray for your family, that's good. But that's not all that Jesus has called us to do, right? Not, not that I have a good family and, and all that. that. This is what God is saying as well, that your work matters. What you do from nine to five, or you know, for some of us from you know, eight to seven, <laughs> I don't know, some of us work long days, whatever that you do, it matters. Because to God, work is not a dirty word to be avoided. But most of us, when we look at those seven things, we find ourselves in more than one of those sectors, right? We find ourselves in more than one of those aspects. Because if you have family, you realize, wow, family is super important, right? That you're a believer. Look at where we are. We're in church right now, right? That what, what about this aspect of education? Some of us, like we're all affected by education, but to be honest, some of you guys work in education. We, we find ourselves in several sectors but here's, here's the thing. When God made us, when God made people, and again, I know I'm not having time to give so much chapter and verse. The two biggest things that you and I were made for was meaningful relationships and meaningful work, right? In the beginning, when God created man, why? Because he wanted to have a relationship. He came and he called Adam in the garden by name. He was made for that. And then when he made his wife, when Eve was made, was so that they would have meaningful relationships. But the second thing was what? Meaningful work. You can write this down. I don't know if it's in your notes or not, I forgot. Genesis 1, 27, 28, is that in your notes? Yeah, this is, this is what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. So it's not just talking about having kids, but then it says this, subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Sometimes this is called dominion over the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so he, we were made for significant work. And significant relationships is critical, but you're also made for significant work. So what's the takeaway from this? This is the last part of the message. So as a result then, we see that there's these seven sectors, these seven spheres. We know that we're got to rule and reign with Jesus. That in Christ, I believe that we're called to work hard right, and be the best you can be at work. I believe that, that we're called to bring Jesus with us to work, not just for me to have my private prayer time, that whatever I do in the privacy of my own home, 
or my own church or whatever that, that, but I'm called to bring Jesus to work with me. But what does that mean? That you preach the gospel to all your coworkers in the email and then just send to, to the office? No, that's not what it means. Or that you stand up in the middle of staff meetings and say, well, Jesus wouldn't say, no, that's not what I'm, I, I'm saying. But that what you do at work matters to God. Can we, we agree with that? Yes. Yeah? Turn to your neighbor and just say, what you do at work matters to God. I think it does. I think it matters hugely because God doesn't look at your life. For most of us, the activity that we do most in our waking hours is work. From, at least from Monday to Friday. That's where we spend the vast majority of our hours. And God doesn't say this. You know what? When you pray and when you read the Bible, you come to church or you serve or you go small group, that's the important part. But the other part, those 40 hours or 50 hours or 60 hours, doesn't matter. God, would, God doesn't, it's not like that. All of your life matters. It's because your work matters because your whole life matters. So what do we do? If we, how do we bring God to work? Can I say this? I think the first thing you should do is start praying for your company. Start praying for your school. Start praying for your office. Start praying for your team, right? Start praying for our church, praying for our government officials, right? Praying for, that, that start, but start where you go to work. Start where you go to work. Pray for yourself, pray for your family, right? Pray for our church, but pray for your company. Why do we pray for our company? Jeremiah, when he, they were in exile, and they were called to live in Babylon. And the people of God were called to live in Babylon. Babylon was the, like, just the, the, that was the world. It was like the dirtiest, morally impure, religiously um, kind of degradation for them. But this is what God told them in Jeremiah 29.6. It says this, and work for the peace and prosperity of where? The city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine whose welfare? Your welfare. First thing you do, pray for your company because your company doesn't prosper, you don't prosper. That's the first thing, right? Your school doesn't prosper, you don't prosper, right? Your division doesn't prosper, you don't prosper. And so start praying for your church, right? I mean, start praying for your job. Start praying for your work um, because it, it matters. And to be honest, you know who else it affects? Everybody else who works at your company, right? Everybody else who, that's how they get their paycheck. That's how they, they make their living. But at the same time, how many of you that when you look at your company, you think, that sometimes we could do with some change in our company, in our school, in our, right? You look at that, you look at the leadership, you look at how moral it is, you look at how, uh, how, how it values human effort and how it values human dignity and how it's honest and all of that. How many of us have? Guess what, you start praying for that. Start praying for that. And you know, local style, sometimes it's easy to go and complain about work, right? Complain about your boss, complain, but, I understand that part, but this is what God's call was. He says, pray for the prosperity 
of where you live and I believe where you work as a result. Here's a second part of that. Gather with other believers at work. Gather with other believers at work. And what do you do when you gather? You know what? Pray for each other. Encourage one another. And then pray for your company together. Why do we have to do that? Like, again, like, are, are we supposed to just, like, kind of rob the company by talking about Jesus at work or doing Bible study at work? No. Do it off the clock, right? Do it off the clock. For some people, guys like Chad, they gather every week, right? Every week with, with people in the morning, right? Before, before the day starts, they gather. They pray for one another. They encourage one another. And they pray for their school. And... To be honest, we need to pray for your school too, but like, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I know other guys like, like Quentin at Gentry that, that they, they have a s- small group. He's, he's the president of the company. And you're not supposed to make, but they have a Bible study, right? And they pray for one another, encourage one another, and they pray for the company. Gather together. You know why? Because some things matter more than one person should be praying. More than one person should be praying. And some of you guys say that who do I gather with? Like, again, gather with Christians. Gather with people. If, as long as they believe in Jesus, they agree this is the word of God, right? And, you know, they might have some different beliefs, different doctrines. They might do this stuff differently than, than we do them. But you know what? As long as they're, as long, just focus on the things you have in common, not the things that you have different, Right? And, and don't worry about those things. But gather together and pray with them. I know some people, because they prayed at work, uh, their companies got the best contracts they ever got as a result. Uh, that people started coming to Jesus as a result. That stuff started to turn around as a result, right? And so people got promoted um, as a result because they started gathering together with Christians, that guess what, that if you want to influence that sphere, start where you work. Because that's one of the things, that's one of the places. Because we wanna be kingdom-minded, not just, I mean, I, I, I think about this church, but I, this, is, this is my primary calling but we have to think about God's kingdom. And it gets affected by the people that you know at church. It gets affected by people who may never come to this church, but they should come to Christ, right? That, that your company can be healthier. It would affect people's lives for, for so many different ways. And then I would say this, that this is the last part maybe in this, is consider God's call in your sphere of influence. In other words, that consider what God might be calling you to do in your, in your work, in your academics, in uh, whatever those things would look like. And I, I think that this, this is the thing, is that we have confused so often career and calling. And, uh, you know, I've talked to some friends who, you know, that they love the Lord and some great guys. And this one guy, he works in the medical field and he's still working in the medical field. And so often he belittles what he does, right? He belittles what he does. He, this guy helps people in such tremendous ways. I see the heart of God in him. But somehow he thinks that 
that what he does is just lesser than what like vocational ministry is. And I said to, I've said to him many times, I've said to him many times, man, look at what you do. Look at how you bring healing into people's lives. Look at, I see you, how you share the gospel. You go above and beyond. You, you do stuff that they tell you you shouldn't do because just his heart of compassion, right? Are you telling me that, and then you serve in your church and you, you do all these things and you serve people and it's like, are you telling me that's lesser of a call? But if, if that's what Jesus called you, how is that lesser? You just gotta be faithful to do what God's called you to do, right? But th- we have confused career and calling. And some people, you know, the saying goes, career is what we get paid to do, and as our calling is what we were made to do. But here's the, the aspect. What if God is calling you to be successful at work. Now, sometimes we say this, it's almost like, a, like we want to balance quality of life. And, I, and I, I've had that discussion with my kids. You know, they, they want to go into some professional medical fields. And I'm concerned because I want, like my daughter, that if she moves into the medical field, I, I don't want her to be the kind, like when I talk to one of my doctors, I ask them, uh, a few months ago, I asked him, hey, what are you doing for the summer? And he goes like, yeah, I know summer vacation, you know, I know one kid. And I said, oh, no, 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 not that. I just was wondering, I know you're married and, and you have kids, so I just was wondering, you guys had any summer plans? And then he said this, he goes, oh, man, yeah, I do. I do have summer plans. I'm going to take my daughter to his um, college tour and um, we're going to, you know, go to a, a few different colleges and go, oh, wow, it's awesome. He goes, yeah, I'm gonna be gone for 10 days. And he said this, he, then he said to me, he said, that's the longest vacation I've ever had in, ever since I became a physician. And you know what I was thinking? Like, man, I, I, I'm glad he loves what he does and he's very good at what he does. But is that what I want for my daughter? Like, you be 40 years old and you've never had a vacation like that's over a week. Yeah, I understand there's that aspect, but I just wanna say, so I'm not calling us to say to be a workaholic, but I think, what if God is saying to you, I want you to get promoted? Because I want you to have more influence in this place. I want you to have more influence in this sector. Not saying that you cannot serve in the church, not saying that you cannot lead a small group, not saying you cannot serve in some ministry, not saying, but maybe God wants to promote you. And it's not just about so that you have more money. Nothing wrong with money, right? right? Nothing wrong with more money. But what if God wants you to get promoted, not simply so that you have more money? What if because so you can have a voice in the way the companies run, in the way that decisions are made. And you know what, we're not saying because we're gonna take over all the companies, we're gonna take over all the sectors, but guess what, people need to be saved in each of those sectors. And what happens if like, we had a principal in a school that prayed at staff meeting, 
that what if we had a principle in a school that when it came say oh no if we're going to have this kind of club we've got to have Christians club we've got to have all those kinds of things why because they're not saying I got to make everybody Christian they're just saying this is who I am this is what I do I know there's a guy like that right it makes a total difference what if you had that in business what if you had that in government what if you know what not because we're gonna make a theocracy you guys ever hear that this is what the media says Oh, well, like Christians, they want to they, they take over and they, they want to they make it a theocracy. You know what a theocracy is? A theocracy is where God is the ultimate leader. Um, I, I believe that we want, in some sense, in our faith, in our, how we approach it. But we're not saying this, that we've got to destroy our form of government in which we live. And that we don't have president and Congress and all this kind of stuff. That's not what we want. We, we still believe in civil leaders. But I think that when we say we have men and women who either are godly or who are influenced by godly people, I think we'll make the most just. We'll make the most prosperous. We'll make it most open to the gospel being de- declared. That that's what happens because this is what God wants to do. He just loves people. And he loves people who do what you do. And he loves people who teach what your kids are learning. God loves people. It just, the only thing is this. We know that when we give our lives to Jesus and it affects everything who we are, it trickles down even in what we do, right? It trickles down in the way I treat people in my workplace, how I do my job. And guess what? that will help usher in God's kingdom in just as important a way in some sense than when we just preach the gospel. The gospel is what gets people into heaven. But sometimes what you do in work dictates how well they will do in heaven. Because when we learn how to walk with God in those places, we become more and more like Christ. Right? And so that's where we rule and reign with Christ. And I love what it says. I love what it says in Luke 12, 32. Jesus said this, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. See, God's happy to share this with you. He says, guess what? We'll do it together. That's his invitation. Let's do your job together. Let's do your career. Let's do church together. Let's do family together, right? Let's do, so this is the invitation. So what you do matters. Does that make sense? Let's bow our heads. We're closing a word of prayer. I understand that when people say, uh, and, and I believe that we ought to honor um, our authorities, that we ought to honor our spiritual authorities and we ought to honor, I, I believe that. And I believe when people, at times they have honored me and I, I receive it and I, I, I'm saying that's great. But somehow I think we're not real careful. We communicate something that is not healthy. Some of us that we have thought that what you do doesn't matter. All I do is I do it for a paycheck. 
And it doesn't matter where I work, and it doesn't. And it's true, God could lead you wherever He wants you to be, and, and that's fine. But I think that that's what the enemy wanted. The enemy wanted us to think that all your job is good for is to give you a paycheck. As long as you're a good husband or a good father or a good wife or a good mom, then it doesn't matter about your job. And I think we abandoned that. And we've seen when, when arts get taken over by believers and you start seeing movies now that have a message and you start seeing series like The Chosen or different things that encourage people's faith would never happen if they had not saw that there was a calling for them in having influence in those areas. Same way. Well, what would our kids turn out like if there were no Christian teachers? What would our, what would our government be like if there were no Christian politicians? Father, I'm thankful. Would you just, if you agree with me, you might not be happy in your job right now, or you might be, I don't know. But can we just say this? God, I thank you that my job matters. I thank you that what I do from nine to five matters to you. He's not, I'm not saying that he, he might not call you to a different role, a different company, a different sector, different career track. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that whatever you do, it matters to God. And that when you see that God's kingdom can be expanded, yes, in your personal relationships, but yes, by you being the best worker at, at what you can, by you seeking to have influence for righteousness and justice because you walk with God. Father, I thank you that I'm just praying for an anointing on my brothers and sisters, that whatever it is that they do from nine to five, what we're asking is that would you, there be a fresh anointing on them because it wouldn't just be a place to get a paycheck, but that they would see that there's opportunities to have an influence for Jesus. Because Lord, thank you that you love their coworkers. Thank you that you love people in that industry, whatever industry it is, whether holy or unholy of an industry. Lord, it doesn't matter that you love people and you're trying to reach them and you're trying to establish your kingdom. Lord, that, that somehow earth would reflect more and more what heaven looks like. Thank you. Bless my brothers, bless my sisters, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the New Hope Kapolei Messages podcast. We hope you enjoyed this weekend's message and that it brought you inspiration and encouragement in your journey of faith. If you'd like to listen to more messages or stay connected with us, visit our website at newhopekapolei.org or follow us on social media. Remember, no matter where you are in life, there is always hope and a new beginning in Christ. So let's continue to grow and learn together as we pursue a life of purpose and impact. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Aloha and God bless.